This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well i'm excited about today's episode i'm going to be joined by guest matthew Mary. He's a well-known, well-respected criminal defense attorney. And recently, he launched a new podcast called A View from Mulberry Street. And it could be found on YouTube. And in fact, if you go to the description under this video, you'll see a link to his podcast. So please be sure to check it out. And today, we're going to be discussing the podcast, amongst some other things. And we're going to have a good chat and a good conversation. I believe the audience will enjoy it. I always enjoy speaking with Matt. Last time I had him on, he, I, and attorney um, Anthony DiPietro, we discussed the Carmen Persico issue that was hitting all the news. And uh, if you haven't listened to that, just go into the past episodes and you'll see it. So without further ado, please allow me to welcome my guest, Matthew Mary. Matt, again, I just want to thank you for uh, coming back okay. on. And it's a pleasure to have you on again, sir. Okay. And I figure um, today I, I wanted to really dive into your uh, podcast of you from Mulberry Street because I, I watched the episodes and I tell you, I'm already hooked. It's it's captivating, it's informative, and it's right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you like it. We're getting a pretty good response so far. I mean, we put two episodes up and a little trailer, and uh, it seems that there's a lot of interest. And what, um, maybe you just want to tell the listeners, what really caused you to go this route, the podcast route? Because I know you have a very successful radio show, and then you broke branched out. It's it's such a long story. Nah, well, it's not that long a story, I can tell it. You know, I, 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 started, I started out uh, life in, on Mulberry Street. My first residence was on top of Angelo's Restaurant at uh, 146 Mulberry Street. And I lived there meh, until I was about seven. And then we moved to a place uh, not too far away, like uh, about a mile away, called Knickerbocker Village or on the Lower East Side, uh, euphemistically known as the Fourth Ward. So I spent my whole early life from birth until 30 years old down on the Lower East Side. And, you know, I met a lot of people, a lot of characters. Not everyone uh, that I knew got into trouble. But uh, <laughs> enough people, enough people got into trouble from when I was a little boy until I became a man to uh, inspire me to be a criminal defense attorney. And uh, I started out with the Legal Aid Society for three years and taking, you know, indigent clients. And uh, sure. in 1979, I started my own law practice and I've been in the practice of criminal law from 1979 until the present time. And, you know, I kind of gravitated to what we call organized crime cases, mostly RICO cases and all of that stuff. So, you know, my experience at the federal courthouse was 
was quite a surprise when I started out as a young man. I didn't understand how federal court was designed from the beginning of the court system, from the beginning of the Southern District of New York, the first federal uh, court district, the, the entire system, and this has nothing to do with Italian-Americans and the mob and all that Right, stuff. right. You're just but talking the, about the system in general. The, the, the court system, the federal court system, was devised historically to make sure that the government wins every case that it's a party to. And, you know, you kind of say, wow, that, that's pretty unfair. I mean, I can understand that also being a student of history and of the history of the United States. And uh, I can understand how the federal court system was, was, uh, was, was built uh, with the idea of the government always having an advantage. But then in the, in the 60s, when, the, when the, the federal court system took a, took a left turn and, and started to take over all these criminal cases, all the drug cases, uh, and, uh, and they started to, to, to usurp the authority of the state courts in reference to criminal law. And everything kind of changed for me. Like, you know, I, I, I kind of saw this system is very oppressive. And from a lawyer's point of view, you kind of scratch your head and, they, and, and say to yourself, how could I ever win a case right. at this courthouse? Right. But you know, then in 1970, they passed the RICO law, uh, which uh, at that point in time, let's see, I was about 30 years old then. Gotcha. They didn't start using the RICO law until 1980 and the 80s. That's when they, Rudy Giuliani went, you know, full force using the RICO law. Right. You know, the RICO law is one of the things that I talk about on my podcast. It is is a law which makes it virtually impossible for a criminal defense lawyer to win a case. But but anyhow, during during the the, the 46 years of law practice, uh, I've seen a lot of things and. Uh, I, I was always kind of obsessed with the with the the way organized crime or the so-called mafia is portrayed in the media. You know, all the movies are the same thing. All the documentaries are the same thing. Yes. Uh, all everything you see on on TV, from a half-hour short to a three-hour special, it's all it's the same old nonsense, the same old propaganda. And, you know, I'm not saying that all of my clients are angels. They certainly aren't. Of course. Uh, yeah, but, I understand but, that. You know, but, but what irks me and, and has bothered me is that the public is so deceived when it comes to these cases. Nobody knows what goes on behind the scenes. No. And, um, and when, you have, when you have a certain group of people, kind Americans, right, who the government believes are involved in organized crime, I'm not saying that I don't want the government to arrest them. Right. I just want them to be treated just like everyone else right. and to have all the rights and, and, the, and the privileges that a defendant has in, in criminal court. And, you know, when it comes to, to organized crime cases, they, they, these people are investigated in a different way than everyone else. Well, let me let me put it to you this way. Most of your listeners out there, if they're normal people, right. they, pro they probably think that, that when a crime is committed, 
law enforcement, whether it be the police or the FBI, uh, 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 gathers all the evidence and they try to figure out who is responsible for a certain crime. And so they investigate and they find evidence. And when they get evidence enough to to accuse someone, they give it over to the district attorney or the United States attorney, and then the U.S. attorney, you know, sends it to the grand jury, and the case begins, and you have a trial, or maybe you have a, a settlement, what we call plea bargaining, and that's the way it goes. But in organized crime cases, they don't start off with a crime and try to find out who right. committed the crime. They start off with a person. Yeah, they start off with a target. They start off with a yes, target. Yep. A target. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they have a big list. And if you go to any FBI office, you'll see right not in the secret room, right out in the, they have these charts, you know, the so-called families and the boss, the underboss, the concierge, the, the, the captains, the soldiers, the associates. I actually was locked in a room down in the Foley Square by accident one day, waiting to talk to uh, uh, agents on the case about getting my client's property back. And I was in a little room, and they had different books about different families. What I mean, books with pictures. Wow. And, you know, I couldn't, I, since I was in this room by myself, I couldn't help but to take a peek. <laughs> and, you know, and so, like, the first book would be uh, The Administration. And pictures of all these guys. Second book is the soldiers, right? right? And they had a third a third book, right? The associates, the guys who are nobody, but they're hanging around uh, uh, somebody. Right. And those are the associates. A lot of pictures. More pictures than you could ever imagine. And, and, and as we know, Matt, the, their room for associate ranges. You could just say hello to somebody and all of a sudden, boom, you're an associate. Hey, listen. Here's the best. So now I see the, the final book is a book marked kids k-i-d-s and i'm saying to myself what the hell could this be and i open it up and there's a, a you know pictures of kids or like teenagers and, I, and i'm saying to myself are these like the kids of the so-called soldiers and right. associates you know, who, who are the kids right and at that moment the fbi agent that i was waiting for uh, walked into the room and he says, he said, what are you doing in here? You're not supposed to be in here. I said, well, somebody put me in here and locked me in here. I said, so I figured I could help myself. <laughs> Make so myself I, comfortable. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we all started to laugh. We both started to laugh. There a couple of other agents in there, too. And, and I said, listen, guys, I understand what these books are about. But could you please tell me who are the kids? And believe it or not, the, the FBI agent told me, those are kids that hang out in the various social clubs or outside the social clubs. These are the kids who might do errands for the guys in the social clubs, like go and get them a pack of cigarettes or, or something like that. Gotcha. And uh, and they had a whole binder for that. Oh, wow. a, whole bi- a whole binder. And, wow. I, and I said, well, what's the purpose of this? He said, and, and I couldn't believe it, he said, today's kids are tomorrow's men. And, uh, you know, we're ready for everything. So the, the, the targeting is intense. And, you know, I've, I've represented clients who are not marked by the FBI, the government, as bosses or captains. or They were just, you know, what they call soldiers, right? right. And they would have squads, squads. I'm gonna, I, could, I could actually talk about a couple of guys who, who have passed away who are very close to me, very close personal friends. Jerry Chili and, and uh, Junior Chili and Jerry's son, Joey, all of whom are, are all uh, deceased now. And they had a thing called the Chili Squad. 
Okay. And, you know, I became aware of that. And I told Jerry Chili and Junior Chili about that. I said, you know, there's a whole squad just for you guys. Yeah, with you. Your so family. it's like a unit and, uh, map that's just unit, assigned to, a, to that, those people. A huh? unit of the FBI that was, in, that was in charge of pursuing the so-called Bonanno family. And within that was a squad. Right. And, and they called it the Chili Squad. And, you know, the... Jerry Chili is scratching his head. He said, oh, boy, have a squad for me? For what? <laughs> right. You know, sometimes they're, they're, they're pursuing guys that can't even, you know, get out of their own way. Right. But uh, anyhow, you know, that's the intensity of it all. And I was talking to an FBI agent one day, and I said, you know, you, I know that you guys are, are targeting, you break yourselves up into different groups, the so-called Bonanno family, the Colombo family. So they, they, they make their organization, a mirror of these other organizations. Yeah, you, you were talking about that on your episode, and I found that very interesting, the way yeah. you laid that out, because as we you said earlier, the public really doesn't understand how it goes. And we're not saying anybody's a saint. It has nothing to do with that. It's just if you're going to charge somebody, you're going to put them through the system, you just want it to be equal across the board. That's all. Sure. Yeah. You want a fair chance. Yep. And, you know, I was telling an FBI agent one day uh, who was – you know, he's investigating one of my clients, had been for years, for years. Right. And I, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're assigned to investigate this guy. And you've been investigating him for four years, and you didn't bring a charge yet against him, correct? And he said, yeah, that's right. I says, how does that make you feel? And he said, it makes me feel pretty shitty. I said, well, how does your boss like that? My boss doesn't like that. And I, I said to him, well, it seems to me that you're under a lot of pressure to arrest this individual, right? Because if you spent 30 years already and you came up with nothing, uh, your boss isn't happy with you. His response was, I'll get him sooner or later. And they did. And they did. Yeah. And believe me. Uh, so this is the intensity of the targeting. And what, what the public doesn't understand, they think, oh, yeah, these guys, they commit crimes left and right. Well, I'm not saying crime isn't committed. But that's not the way the investigations go. The investigations don't start with a crime, seeking out the criminal. They start with the person that they want to get. And if you're on the big boy, okay, yep. and they have you as part of a, a, if you're associated with an organized crime family, as they define that, right? Okay, you 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 are in for trouble. I mean, you're done. Yep. The goose is cooked. Yep. And let me tell you, as a criminal defense lawyer, and I know many investigators who feel the same way, Sure. the government kind of wants to run you over, too, because you're standing in their way. Yes. You're standing in the way of their dinner. Yep. They, want, they are hungry. They want to eat. And you're standing in front of what they want to devour. And so it's a high-pressure uh, life to live as a lawyer or as an investigator who works uh, on these kinds of cases. And, uh, you know, I just thought that, that it would be interesting, especially in the, in the uh, advent of all these podcasts that are unbearable. So unbearable. Oh, I'm right with you with that. And that's actually, yeah. when you said that on your podcast, it, it was like I was inside your head because you were talking about the, uh, the informant podcast and how they're just flooding all these different yeah. platforms with their nonsense and their lies. And this went on and on for years and years with, without any other side to it. And that's actually how that whole We Push Back thing starts. It's just, it's just another side. It's just, yeah, there has to be another voice, another side of 
there isn't only just one story to these uh, to these truths, you and, know. And there are very few voices like ours. Absolutely, people who, who are not afraid to to stand up. And you know, somebody somebody said to me, "Oh, you're doing this podcast. It seems like you're attacking the government." Well, I said, "You know, I'm not attacking the government." I said, "There's a million movies out there." And there are documentaries, and there's stuff like Fear City, which is BS, 100% BS. You know, the producers from Fear City, who, who are from England, they called me. They found me. I had three meetings with them, and they wanted me to be on that show. And I, I said, you know what? I'd be delighted to be on your program. But how long is it going to air? You know, what will be the final time right. on the it, it, Three hours. I said, okay. I want 15 minutes or 10 minutes to say what I want to say about the commission case. And, you know, the, the whole thing's about the commission case. How that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I couldn't happen. even, I didn't even watch it. Yeah, it's it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> it's painful. Listen, and, and I said to them, I said, look, I'll do it, but you got to give me 10 minutes of unedited uh, point of view. Right. And I supplied these people from England who did that your city thing with thousands and thousands of government documents that were uncovered accidentally 30 years after the fact after they were hidden during the commission case uh documents who could have which could have uh, helped carmine persical defend himself in the commission case documents with you know the whole thing in the commission case is they said that carmine persical uh, who had been in prison during most of the activity described in the commission case that Carmine Persico was responsible as a defendant, they say, because they say he was the boss of the so-called Colombo family, right. okay? And even though he was in jail, they said he's responsible. He's responsible because the underboss, the consigliere, uh, the captains, they're all they're all working on his behalf. Yeah, they lay so out he, that whole uh, yeah. that whole hierarchy. So, he, stuff. so he's <laughs> vicariously responsible, even though he's in jail all the time. Yeah, as he's even locked up twenty four seven. Right, and no nobody ever came to see him. No, there's no allegation in the commission case that someone ever got his approval on anything. But the very fact that he was the boss, they say, enables them to put him into the commission case as a defendant. Yep. And now what they did is they hid documents that were discovered accidentally by Anthony DiPietro and, and Angela Clemente independently. And these documents... Well, as we know, if it's out there, you know Anthony's going to find it. <laughs> for sure. You know, and, 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 and these documents actually said there were FBI rats, uh, Greg Scarpa, saying that someone other than Carmine Persico was the they called the boss. There were two FBI agents who filed reports during that time, during the commission case, while it was on, that a second and a third person was the boss of the family. So it seems there's some confusion about that in the government circles from the FBI, from their from their upper echelon informants, about who was the boss of Colombo family. Yet they, they prosecute Colombo Persico anyhow, and they suppress this evidence we find it 30 years later bring it to the judge's attention say to the judge that's done 32 years out of 100 all right why, why don't you let him go let's resentence him to time serve 
Right. And by the way, people don't understand that the commission case is nothing more than a bid rigging case. The top four companies in the construction industry in New York City had an agreement with each other, and the government claims that organized crime was involved in that agreement, where one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, all the top construction contracts would be given to the top four companies in the construction industry. And that was the commission case. Not not much more than that. Right. And all of those construction guys, they don't even get indicted. All they have to do is rat, you know, yep. and say, you know, we, we wouldn't have, well, these guys, they made us do it, right? The devil made me do it. Right. And so all these organized crime guys, they, they should have gotten like 10 years. Maybe you want to give them an extra five because you say they're part of organized crime. Well, that's 15, okay? Now you say that they're the bosses. They're the bosses of the crime family. So give them another five years, right? Now right. we're up to 20. Right. But how can you give them 100 years? And these guys are dying in jail. They're dying in jail, and no one gives a hoot. No one gives a hoot about it. No one wants to hear about it. Well, you know what the problem is, Matt, that I encounter a lot is, uh, unfortunately, people don't understand the point we're trying to make. You know, I get a lot. I get attacked. I get people saying, oh, you're glorifying the mob. And they don't comprehend. I don't know if it's because they're ignorant or they're just not that intelligent. It has nothing to do with glorifying anything. All we're trying to say is you can't have different sets of rules for different types of people. Because yes. what the public doesn't understand, it's just a matter of time to once again, they evolve those rules to go after somebody else. And, and listen, that's not just speculation on our part or anyone's part. That has actually occurred over these decades. And let me tell you, many a congressman who's been charged with the RICO Act ha has probably regretted voting for it right. because they, they, they got away with passing the RICO Act because they want to obliterate organized crime right. from the face of the earth at all costs. Right. At all costs, okay? And everybody swallow that. Okay, yeah, let's swallow that. That's okay. We'll go along with that. At all costs, no matter what. Let's do anything that has to be done. And as and you it, pointed you know, out in your podcast, that statement is so dangerous, at all costs. No, no, there's something that should be monitoring that. It can't be at all costs. I, I was really glad the way you highlighted that on your podcast. Yeah, and, and you know, so they, 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 they use it against the people that they... Uh, declare to be part of organized crime, but they use it against congressmen. They use it against big businessmen. They use it against anybody they can use it against if it's convenient for them. Right. And, and, and they do it. And, you know, what people don't understand is they say, oh, what, what's the RICO Act? No one knows it. No one can. Regular lawyers <clears throat> and criminal lawyers who don't practice in federal court when i tell them stories about these rico cases right and what the government does they don't believe me no they actually look at me in the face and say to me, you know matt government can't do that <laughs> and i say yeah but they've been doing it right. for decades they're doing it since the 19 it was passed in 1970 they're using it you know exponentially since 1980 and the rico act you know people most of your listeners out there if they're normal people they think that if you get accused of a crime you go to trial on that crime right the jury decides if you're guilty or you're not guilty and they but weigh the, the evidence of that crime they don't weigh reputation or allegations sure. they're supposed to weigh the evidence in a rico case they're allowed to bring let's say five or ten different crimes that are committed or alleged to be, a, be have 
be committed in different time periods that have nothing to do with each other. And so they could bring all those crimes in and they could they could put you in a case with five or ten people, some of whom you don't even know, because they say if they can prove that there's an enterprise like the crime family, right? right, right. Uh, by the way, that enterprise, aside from the Bonanno family, the Colombo family, the Gambino family, aside from that, later on, the enterprise became Chase Bank. The enterprise became this or that or the other legitimate entities were defined by the government as criminal enterprises. And that definition, and they're allowed to prove that in court, not for the face of it, but to show that they could bring a RICO case, okay? So they, they say, all right, you're all part of the crime family, so we're allowed to bring all these different crimes and put all your different people together. Now, how the hell, you know, a juror might think, if you're charged with a crime, a single crime, a juror will evaluate those facts and may decide to acquit you. But if you're charged with five or six crimes, what you're in the world is is uh, is going to acquit you. They're going to say maybe, maybe this is a mistake once, but there's five, right. six different incidents, and then they put you together with other guys. Let's say you're a bookmaker, right? Right. You're you're in the gambling business. They put yep. you together with another guy, and he's got a murder charge. Whoa! Tell me that that doesn't taint the mind of a juror. Of but course. Of course, we're able to do it, yeah. and let's let's again emphasize to your listeners. So they started with organized crime, and everyone, no one cared, no one gave a damn. Okay, yeah, yeah, you can do that to them, yep. but you know what? They do it to everybody because they don't see the ones. bigger picture, you know. And and I get some of the. I have some great listeners, and then I got some wackos, you know, and stalkers and all that. But a lot of the comments I get. They'll say, well, they're all bad guys, so they should be in jail anyway. And yeah. they, they don't understand. That's fine. You could think that, but that's not how the Constitution works. It's, that's it's not, not how the, supposed to be that way. That's right. Everyone, that's not how the law you know, is supposed what, to work. What makes this country so great is if you look at the law, the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, the guarantees that we have, and what the law is supposed to be, it, it makes you want to cry how great it is, how beautiful it is. Yep. How we live in a country where, you know, back in the day, before this country started, people in England, the, the king could throw you in jail for any goddamn thing he wanted to do. Right. You know, if you're you're, not, you're an opponent of the king or, you, or the king likes your wife or whatever it may be, you get thrown in jail and yep. that's it. And that, now, you know, the people founded this country, the documents of, of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and all our initial laws, all were beautiful, beautiful things to guarantee freedom. And, you know, you do put people away. I told you from the beginning of the federal court system, everything's leaning toward uh, the, the federal government. So right. the federal government don't need all the things that we're talking about to, to put bad guys in jail. I'm saying, hey, listen, I want the public to know what's going on over here. And it's a disgrace because so many people have just died in jail. And I'm not saying for nothing. You know, like, Dom, you want to give my client five, ten years for something? Good. Don't give him 40 years when he deserves five. And, and the way people... And then if be, you compare those to to people that doesn't have a label and they aren't supposedly part of an organization and they may have done much worse crimes, and, and you course. can't even compare the sentencing. The sentencing is completely different. 
completely different. You know, talk, when you talk about sentence, here's, here's a big one that no one believes. No lawyer, no no regular person. You know, in federal court, as you know, yes. uh, when it comes time for your sentence, the, 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 the U.S. attorney, uh, of course, can argue about what you've been convicted of, right? That's right. fair. Yeah. You've been convicted of something, and he's, he should be able, he or she should be able to emphasize to the judge like what's going on, right? But in the case and what was done, but in in, in federal court, the U.S. attorney can bring to the judge's attention crimes that were that the defendant was actually acquitted of, <laughs> and and the judge can say, you know what, the jury acquitted this defendant of those charges, but I I I, I disagree with the jury. I think by the preponderance of the evidence that you're guilty of that. And so when I sentence you on the crime, the little crime that you were committed of, of I'm going to I'm going to sentence you to the maximum sentence on that because I believe you're guilty on the crimes you were acquitted of. And Matt, also, I never would have believed that until I experienced it, it firsthand who, and it's insanity. Who can believe it? Insanity. Uh, l- listen, Dominic, it's not something that just happens once in a while. Right. This happens every day, and it's been happening for decades, at least five decades that I have witnessed. I stand as a witness to this. And, and okay. when you think about it, it's basically just negating the jury process. It's just negating yes. it because the jury came to one conclusion, and then the judge is allowed to say, well, I disagree, so I'm going to factor in those other things as well. Of course, and also the judge can consider uncharged crimes. In other, in other words, the, the prosecutor can say, I, I think Mr. Defendant here, uh, he, he, he is suspected of five murders. Okay. Was that person convicted of those murders? No. Was he indicted for those murders? No. Was he arrested for those murders? No. So how the hell do you ask a judge to consider that? Well, in, in federal law, the way it's developed, yes, you can. And the judge will say on the record, I am considering these other things, unproven crimes, because the government has proven it to me by the very fact that they're telling me. You know, it's as yep. simple as that. Now, people, you tell that to a regular lawyer, and they'll tell you, listen, pal, you don't know what you're talking you, I don't believe you. Right. I believe that happens. Yeah. And, uh, they look at us you know, like we're nuts, and they look at us as if we're trying to bash the government. No, we're just stating the facts, and we're making it clear that this is unacceptable, but yet nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody's yeah, doing so, anything about it. You know, part of, part of it is to, to bring that out, because I'm so annoyed, you know, with these, po- especially in the podcast world, where you got these guys from England, they can't even pronounce the names of the people they're talking about. <laughs> they talk, they got, air, or, you know, they have the general facts straight, but like 90% of the factual things they say are incorrect, just goddamn stupid. Yeah, there's a lot, saying, of, a lot of falsities, yep. And, and these people are, are getting, you know, thousands and thousands of followers. And then you have the informants, right, who, who you, you got you got to give them credit for being demonically manipulative. I mean, here are people, most of these informants, right, they started out as cheap criminals on the street, and they manipulated everybody, deceived everybody. Then they started hooking themselves into for this so-called organized crime. And they deceived them and manipulated them and, and took advantage of them. And then when it came time to pay the piper and go to jail, 
then they manipulated the government and deceived the government, okay? And they get out of jail no matter what they did, all right? And usually the guy who's the informant has done a lot worse things than the guy he's testifying against. You're not kidding. And then, and then, when, when, they, when they beat the rap, you know, they, they get away with it all. And now they're going and profiting on, these, on, the, on the Internet and doing all this stuff, which is fine. You know, thank God that they got a legitimate job. But, you know, the, 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 the gullible people out there, they say, oh, yeah, this guy was inside. He really knows. You know what they really know and what they really want to tell you? What's beneficial for of them. Of course. What and, paints them and, in the best light. What paints them and in the best some light. of them. A fed information by the government. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fed yep. by the government. You could see it. You could see when they're reading a piece of paper that somebody handed to them. Uh, you know, so. Well, Matt, what's that... crazy about that is, you know, with these podcasts and they go on there and they lie and they tell stories and they actually, they actually bash. I have, I have, as you know, you know, I download all these different podcasts for the different important yes. and I house them. And, and there's episodes of them bashing family members, making fun of defendants. I had uh, two informants actually on their podcast threaten me, threaten me publicly. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Now, now me, I just don't even respond. I don't care what they have to say. But imagine I started doing that, Matt. Imagine I started threatening people. And this, you know what kind of problems I would have? They could do whatever they want to do. They could do whatever they want. You don't want to do. think about the problems you would have. Of course. You don't want to think oh. about the problems you would have for doing half of that. Exactly. 10% of what they get get away with. You know, it's it's amazing. It really is amazing. And, and the, that that's really why, I mean, your, your podcast is so needed and so important from your experience and your perspective to really show people what goes on, what takes place. And Dominic, you know, the other the other side of my podcast is that, you know, people have always said to me, oh, why don't you write the story of your life? Why don't you tell the story of your life? Do a book, do a movie. No way. I mean, that's impossible. And I just can't do it. Right. You can't. But, you know, I thought that this is a good way trying to, to, to uh, identify the problems that we're talking about. But in light of my experiences, not only as as a lawyer for 46 years, but growing up on the Lower East Side and Little Italy and the, the Fourth Ward, Knickerbocker Village, you know, knowing people, meeting people, seeing the human side of some of the people that have been demonized by the government is part of what I want to get into. So am I saying that the, the people that the government says are involved in organized crime are good? Well, you know what? I happen to know a lot of good things about them. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. Uh, and, and I got I got a right to say that too, yep. and I got a right to talk about stories. Like that, anything that else, Matt, there's, there's good and bad in everybody. There's you know there's yes. good and bad in everybody. In like every person, yep. in every person, there's good and bad. And uh, you know, during the podcast, I, I you know I I don't reveal any kind of confidence of any kind. Not a confidence as a lawyer or as a friend. Nothing. Right. But I get to tell a lot of funny stories a lot of lighthearted stories. And as the podcasts go on, episode after episode, the first few podcasts are a little bit on the heavy side, but necessarily so. Sure. But the future podcasts are going to be a little bit more lighthearted, a lot more joking around, a lot more funny stories about growing up on the Lower East Side, about being a lawyer and the behind the scenes and all these cases, some of the funny things that happen. Because, you know, if you don't have a good sense of humor, you can never survive. Oh, if, if you don't have a sense of humor, yeah, you, you'd wind up uh, wiping out early on without a sense of humor. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. 
And that that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to the different episodes and the first two you put out. And that's why, for me, uh, it's, it's important. The more people doing that, you know, the more people talking about these things, eventually maybe you get a few members of the public where it starts to click and they realize, all right, it's irrelevant whether these guys are good or bad, but the law has to be followed. Otherwise, it's a, it, could be a, it could be a danger for us. And you kind of hope that maybe some of the, law, the young lawyers who become United States attorneys in the future, uh, who become federal judges in the future, might try to see things a little differently uh, than, than as warriors. You know, it's always been described as a war, a war against organized crime. We're going to obliterate them at all costs. It shouldn't be at all costs. You shouldn't be prostituting yourself and, and, and the rules and regulations of our Constitution and, and, and our court system and the, and the law as it should be. You shouldn't have to do that to do your job. You could be fair and square, and all the bad guys will go away for what they did wrong, but no one should go away just because they're targeted. Yeah, I mean, well, listen, they expect the defendants and the defense attorneys to follow a certain set of rules, and as you know, if the defense team doesn't follow those rules, forget it. We There's big problems. Yeah. There's big... You're not kidding. Yeah, so that's what's so, that's where I detach a lot, and that's, to go back to what you said earlier, where people say, oh, they can't do that, I just laugh when somebody tells me, oh, Don, they can't do that. I go, yeah, they can't do that. No, they do it. They do whatever they want, and then it's up to you to fight it. That's really what it boils down to. Yes, uh, and it really is, uh, it's disturbing when you look at it, and, and your podcast is, is a breath of fresh air, pal, and, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the other um, episodes coming out, and that's really the whole point of that We Push Back thing, it's really just different content creators bringing attention in our own way, using our own skill set, our own education, just to bring attention to these things, that's really the bottom Absolutely. line. And you know, all we want people to, to get out of it is to, to understand What's happening now? You could believe me and don't believe me. Right. That's all right. But but someone needs to say the truth, and and if you don't believe me, then that's okay too. Yep. I, I don't care. But uh, someone needs to educate the public just a little bit, just a little bit. So someone should say enough is enough. And when it comes to the governments uh, pursuing these kinds of cases, enough is never enough all right they just keep going and going and there's no mercy and you know i, I had a prosecutor tell me about one of my clients that the judge judge block gave him 30 months and uh she was so upset because she wanted him to get more i said you know the guy's an old man he's 70 70 some odd and you know he's getting 30 months and right. he didn't do much and she says i said i said to her i said what, what do you want was in the in the in the hallway in the federal courthouse outside the court. Right. And she says, I want your client to die in jail. Jeez. And I said to myself, Holy shit. <laughs> she 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 really means that. She's a real you know, if you didn't know who she was, you'd think she's just a nice little regular lady, you know, and right. like a school teacher. And she looked me in the eyes, I want your client to die in jail. Unbelievable. Wow. Now, now imagine the defense attorney said that about somebody, uh, about somebody dying in jail or this. Yeah. I tell you, it's it's just amazing. And what, what concerns me is, why do you think they take it so personal, Matt? Like, it's a job, it's an occupation. Why do you think they make it so personal? It's just like brainwashing, you know? It's like, this is what you got to do. Every If you read John Gleason's book, I'm reading it now, uh, and Jerry Capisi happened to give it to me, and 
and I'm reading it, and he talks what about... What book is that, uh, uh, Madam? Uh, John Kalisha has a book out. It's called... Hmm, one minute. I might have it right here. It's called The Gotti Wars. Gotti oh, okay, Wars. I wasn't familiar Not with that Not the Gotti book. cases. It's The Gotti Wars. And he talks about being a young man and leaving a, a top white shoe law firm where he's making big money and had a chance to be partner. And that, and one of the main partners said, you know, stay here. You, you, you're going to make partner in this big law firm. He wanted to go into uh, into the U.S. Attorney's Office for the glory of battle, you know. And, right. and when he got in there, boy, oh, boy. I mean, it's uh, when they, they look upon cases as, as like they're soldiers going to war, and they, they look upon the winds as, as glorification of themselves. It's really, it's really frightening. It's yeah, frightening. I think you hit the nail right on the head with the brainwashing. It seems like yeah. that they're they're just molded that way to to believe a certain way, throw the law out the window, and just get whoever you got to get, get your target at all means necessary. That's it. That's what it's all about. Yep. And it's not changing either. It's no. not changing. I see it getting and worse he, almost. And, you know, it's almost getting worse. And I think that's why now more than ever, especially with this influx of all these informant podcasts and all this wrong information and these clip channels we're putting out, promoting all these different things about organized crime, there really needs to just be another side just to explain how the law works, what really goes on, just so a public or a potential juror member could say, hey, you know what, I really need to take my time on this case. I really need to evaluate and follow the threshold of the Constitution. Because that's really what my focus is, you know, just to get to people to think a little bit. That's all, just think a little bit. And Dominic, part, part of these podcasts, I'm, I'm interested to see how, you know, I don't, I know about my podcast. I know about yours. Yep. I don't know of many like ours, but you know, I'm just wondering how are the how are the general public, the people who know nothing about this, how are they going to react to us? Are they going to say that we're just you know fools, that we're shills for organized crime, or are they going to say, oh my goodness, this is this is wrong? Well, I'll give you a little insight on that, Matt, because I've been doing this almost three years now with my podcast. And um, the, the We Pushback Hub that I made for all the other podcasts, that's been about six months. And the majority of the people, the majority of the comp comments I get are positive. The majority of the comments I get are people who go, I was never aware of this, Mr. Korea. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I have a lot of um, emails from people that actually started off a big informant supporter. And then they, they would email me and say, you know, I appreciate you bringing to my, uh, bringing to my attention that a lot of this information is false and they're telling a lot of lies and that's not right. They shouldn't be able, they shouldn't be allowed to lie and be rewarded for lying. So for me, I think it's going to be a positive reception overall. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to get a lot of lunatics who are commenting on your page saying, oh, you're glorifying the mob and all this. You know, you, you've seen it firsthand. You've seen it even with me firsthand. That, yes. that we can't prevent. There's always going to be a lunatic, some unstable person. That's life. I just drown them out. I block them. I don't even care about that. As you yes. said earlier, I'm not here to convince anybody. I just want to put the information out there. And for the open-minded, intelligent individuals, I think they're going to find a lot of value in it. Yes. You know? Let's hope so. Yep. Absolutely, pal. And uh, it was a great conversation today. If there's anything you want to add, I'm, I'm going to be putting your uh, – there's going to be a link – to your podcast in the description of this video. So listeners, please be sure you click on it. Subscribe to Matt's new podcast, A View from Mulberry Street. 
you will not be disappointed. It's engaging, it's informative, it's entertaining. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to future episodes. I think YouTube is the best place for the, my podcast, too, because it's the, the video of, of the of the program rather than just an audio. I agree. I agree. Oh. You know, that's what I enjoy. And, I, and I, I like to add the graphics, and I liked all the images you added on yours. Really phenomenal work, Matt, and congratulations on it. All best right. of luck. Thank you very much, Dominic. Thank and you. Good luck to you, too. We'll be talking soon. Absolutely, pal. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. So there you have it, folks. I thought it was an excellent episode. I always enjoy uh, Matt's conversation. I really think um, I think we touched on a lot of important areas. And uh, Matt and I will be speaking again soon. So that's all we're going to keep doing. I'm trying to get some information out there. Trying to enlighten the public a little bit. So please be sure to check out A View from Mulberry Street on YouTube. And I want to once again thank... Mr. Mary for coming on my show and giving me uh, 40 minutes of his time. Take care, listeners. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the Internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justicetechpros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off <laughs>